Welcome to the Pleasant Side Podcast, where students at Mount Pleasant Middle School of the Visual and Performing Arts interview audio and video industry professionals. Today's guest is Spencer Coates from Legendary Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Here is today's host, Mr. Mike Mitchell. The Pleasant Side Podcast. This is our very first episode. We are recording from Pleasant Side Studio here in historically rural Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, at Mount Pleasant Middle School of the Visual and Performing Arts. I'm the art director for all three Mount Pleasant schools. We are also, it's important to note, a STEAM campus, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And we believe that arts are the heat that turns STEM into STEAM. We have a very special guest today, Spencer Coates from Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And we couldn't be more excited. I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Harvey, who is our audiovisual recording arts teacher here at Mount Pleasant Middle School of the Visual and Performing Arts. Mr. Harvey. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. We are excited to be here today. Uh, I've got some seventh graders here that uh, are in my audio video class, and uh, we're excited to have you on, Spencer. We are super excited today. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be able to talk to everybody and share a little bit of my world with everyone. Well, we are we are super excited for your uh, for your expertise to help us out. So uh, I'm going to introduce the uh, young men and young ladies with you. Uh, first, we have Mr. Christopher Lanius. Go say hi. Unmute yourself and say hi. Hi, uh, my name is Chris. Now, Miss Summer. Hi, my name is Summer Johnson. Next would be Mr. Bentley Thaxton. Hi, my name is Bentley Thaxton. Welcome. Hey, Bentley. What's up, bud? What's up? (laughs) So Bentley is going to go ahead and kick us off with the first question of the day. Go ahead, Bentley. Um, Tell us about a a little history of Fame Studios. Awesome. So Fame Studios was started by my late boss, Rick Hall, and he started as a publishing company over across the river here over in Florence, Alabama, and him and a songwriting buddy got together with a guy named Tom Stafford. And Rick and his buddy, his songwriting buddy, whose name was Billy Sherrill, wrote a song that was a hit on Roy Orbison called Sweet and Innocent. And so because of that, they decided they wanted to get together and start writing songs and being in the business of writing songs and publishing them for different people. And so after about a year, they went their separate ways. And, well, Rick, uh, he ended up having a hit on a young artist by the name of Arthur Alexander. It was a song called You Better Move On, which ended up getting recut by the Rolling Stones. And the side B of the record, A Shot of Rhythm and Blues, was covered by the Beatles. So Rick, you know, just very started taking off because of that he was able to build this building here now uh that we're in now fame recording studios and uh it's awesome we've been here 1962 the very first thing recorded out of fame was a song uh by jimmy hughes called steal away and it sat on the shelves for four years but it ended up being a hit and throughout that time rick was working with guys like bill lowry and cut some hits on the what kind of fool do you think I am and a lot of R&B stuff and slowly and surely Rick just got enough clout to say in the music business where people started listening 
listen to his opinion about what he thought was a hit song and what he didn't think was a hit song. And he ended up pitching a song to a guy named Jerry Wexler up in New York with Atlantic Records, uh, When a Man Loves a Woman, a song that we all know and love. And so because of that, Wexler started bringing big acts down here to fame, like Wilson Pickett. He cut Mustang Sally and Land of a Thousand Dances. He also brought uh, Aretha Franklin down here. We all know Aretha Franklin. I mean, she is the queen of soul. She cut her very first two million selling records here at our studio. I never loved a man like I loved you and do right man, do right woman. And because of that, you know, even though it was only one day because there was a little bit of an argument between Ted and Rick, my boss here, because nonetheless, uh, they ended up going up to New York and cutting the rest of the record. But that really kind of solidified as Rick being a, a record producer and really got him on the national stage because of that he worked with people like Eddie James. Otis Redding and sixties was a lot of R and B for us in the seventies. Rick took a lot of that mo momentum he had from cutting all those R and B records in the sixties and turned it into pop. And he started working with people like Bobby Gentry and Clarence Carter. He cut fancy on Bobby Gentry, which Reba later on cut. And then of course, you know, he did patches on Clarence Carter, that classic tune. And, you know, the Osmond brothers, they came down here that first year he worked with the Osmond brothers. He sold 15 million albums, continued with acts like Liza Minnelli, Paul Anka, Wayne Newton, Tom Jones, Andy Williams, Lou Ross, Travis Walmack, Candy Staten, Mac Davis. He ended up cutting like 11 of his albums in here, which like so many of them went gold and platinum, like uh, baby, baby, don't get hooked on me and all those other great Mac, he uh, he also went on in the 80s to do a bunch of country music. He had acts like Jerry Reed, uh, Shannon Doa, who had seven number one country hits, the band Alabama. And really in the 90s, he went from there into publishing, which is where he really started. Now, publishing is the business of songwriting, which to me is the most important part of record production. If you're not recording a good song, then it really doesn't matter what you're recording. You want to be recording that human emotion, that intention, because that's honestly where all great records come from. They come from connecting people together. And so Rick, knowing that at the very beginning, really turned the business into that. And so we had great songwriters like Walt Aldridge, who ended up having 63 songs cut in Billboard's Top 50. A guy named Gary Baker, he ended up uh, uh, writing a song called I Swear, which was like billboard number one spot for 15 weeks on both John Michael Montgomery and then all for one. I think the minions have done it. I think the Smurfs have done it. I mean, it is like literally one of the biggest records of all time. It sold 30 million copies for us, which is just ridiculous. Uh, going on in the early two thousands, we had songwriters like James LeBlanc, who is a songwriter even here now. And uh, he's written songs for like Rascal Flatts, Jason Isbell, who, we all love Jason Isbell. Oh, my goodness. He was a songwriter here for 15 years and was here with the Drive-By Truckers and did his first three albums here. And then in 2013, that documentary came out, which if y'all haven't seen, everybody should see. It is absolutely magic. It is beautiful. It has changed not only my life, but the lives of so many people in this whole area. And honestly, just the life of this whole area as far as music and people remembering and like understanding that music not only happened here, but it happens here every single day. It's incredible. 
And so because of that, really a lot of tourism started happening in the area. And honestly, so many records started coming back. And honestly, that's what I do now. I just sit here and I, you know, work with the songwriters on staff here. I help produce records on them. I'm also an engineer. So if anybody has custom records that they want to come in, literally anybody in the world can come in and record. And so I work with all the acts and all the people that come here and help manage the studios. So that's what I do. I'm the studio manager and head engineer here at fame. And, uh, it's exciting. It's really living the dream for lack of any better explanation. Great. That's, that's a lot of, a lot of experience that, that one studio has had over the last 40, well, I guess 50 something years yeah, now. 50 years now. Yeah, it is absolutely incredible. I mean, honestly, the people that I've gotten to work with are like, Alan Jackson, Vince Gill, Allison Krauss, Michael McDonald, Tom Johnston, Greg Allman. I've gotten to work with Steven Tyler. I mean, literally, there's some of the biggest acts on the planet just come through here and want to make with us. It's like, well, yeah, of course, let's do it. Why not? <laughs> cool. Could you share with us some of your history? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So some of my personal history, I was b born in Chicago, Illinois. Um, I moved down south when I was young. Uh, uh, I lived in Jackson, Tennessee for a little while. Then I moved to uh, Thompson Station right around the Nashville area. Then I moved down to Montgomery, Alabama. I went to high school in Montgomery. Uh, and it was cool because when I went to high school in Montgomery, I knew that I was I was in the marching band. In fact, <laughs> the... Uh, that's the reason I went to the high school. I did the marching band instructor. He was like, well, do you play bass guitar? And, you know, I really just started playing bass. But I was like, oh, yeah, you know me. I, I play bass guitar. And he asked me to be in the marching band. And so I decided to be in the marching band playing bass because I thought that was pretty rock and roll, you know. And so uh, I started playing bass. I played bass in the marching band for two years. And then I ended up joining the drum line. And so I just had always had a love for music. I started kind of playing uh, musical instruments when I was about 11 years old. And I just really fell in love with records themselves. When I was probably about 13 years old, I went through my dad's CD collection and I downloaded them all onto my uh, MP3 player, which, you know, there was a time before MP3 players were our phones. And uh, I was downloading all my MP3 player because I want to listen to his music. And I just really fell in love with records especially like led zeppelin one is particularly the record that changed my life it is like one of the best rock and roll records ever recorded that pink floyd all the beatles stuff i mean it is just oh he my dad had a really really beautiful taste in music and so really because of that it really made me just want to be in around that i i I was never a very good musician. I knew that I couldn't just sit there and play music for a living. Um, and so I decided I wanted to be on the business side of the music industry. So when I graduated high school, I came up here to the, the Shoals area to go to UNA. Uh, when I uh, started at UNA, I wanted to be in the business. I wanted to be like an A&R guy because I was really good at dealing with people and talking to people. And I knew that even though I wasn't very talented, as far as musically that I could, I knew great music and I could be around musical people. Cause that's the, honestly, the people I, I love being around are people that are weirdos like me musicians. And so I decided that, 
that's what I was going to do. And about two and a half years before I graduated, I started interning here at Fame. And honestly, my intention was never to be an engineer because I didn't want to get stuck inside of a room for 17 hours at a time like we do sometimes. But when I started interning here, I really, really got hooked on the production process and making music and engineering it and songwriting and playing instruments again and all these other things that really really truly inspired me because honestly i was going to hang around some of the best record producers and uh, record makers of all time guys like rick hall and jimmy johnson and david hood and roger hawkins and my buddy alan shulman and uh i mean the list goes on i i if i started naming off the list Clayton Ivy and Bob, literally just some of the best, most talented people who have ever worked in the music business. Honestly, all these people that developed the Muscle Shoals sound and developed, you know, this whole area into being a musical mecca for so many people. And so because I got to experience all that stuff, like I said, I really decided that I wanted uh, to get into being a record producer. That was something that I, I really fell in love with. And uh, so that's why I'm here now. Now that I've interned, I've been at fame for man, almost seven years now, about that, that last year I was in college, uh, I was already a full-time employee here. I worked on Greg Allman's last album, which ended up getting nominated for a Grammy. I got to work with Don was the legendary record producer for that one. And so I, I decided to stay here at fame. And like I said, I've been here for seven years now and about, I don't know, I guess six months ago, I became the studio manager and head engineer here. And it's been amazing since then. I have a uh, awesome team of songwriters, or uh, like I said, songwriters that I work with pretty much every single day. Uh, I'm going to produce, produce a record on one of them, which is rock and roll, which I love. There's a group of young songwriters and artists and producers that I work with all the time, like my very, very core group of friends. And we produce a lot of, a lot of pop music, which is awesome because even though I get to produce a lot of I not produce, but really work on a lot of uh, eclectic music, for lack of a better term, really like traditional, you know, blues, rock, American music, uh, country music through the studio with all my custom sessions. My passion really is producing like top 10 pop records simply just because that's what Rick was doing. We want to make music for young people and something to dance to and something to connect with them. And so that's kind of the popular music right now is that kind of, you know, things that are made on laptops with that real traditional kind of sound at the same time. So that's what I get to do a lot of. So that's, that's what I do. And that's kind of my history. And I just love making records. I love writing songs um, and putting my life into the songs that I write, because there's just something very special with getting to connect to people through my life experiences. Although they're different than everybody else's. We all still share that common thread of being humans and making mistakes and learning from our loves and our losses and all that stuff. And so I get, that's what I do. I just try to put it in the music and try to honestly try to create a soundtrack for people's lives. It's really difficult sometimes, but even then it's, uh, it's always powerful. Who are some of the most, what is one of the most favorite piece of gear you use there? Uh, so honestly, one of my favorite piece of gear, uh, and we can't say this very loud because I have a console in the other room and I don't want it to hear me, is actually this con uh, 
this console that I'm sitting in front of right now. Here, let me uh, see if I can flip it around for y'all. So I have this SSL console right here. So we'll start on this side and we'll just go down. So we got this about two years ago. And uh, this is pretty much my favorite piece of gear right now. I love it a ton. We actually just redid this entire control room just for this SSL. It's a 1985 E6000. And... Uh, Man, it is beautiful. It sounds awesome. We got it. It was originally in a studio called Dallas Sound, which uh, Steve Ray Vaughn worked in. In fact, Steve Ray Vaughn wanted them to get this particular console. So he is actually recorded in this room or not in this room, but on this console. Some of the cool things about it, like, you know, if you are all into bus compressors, my bus compressor on this one says fairy dust, which I just think is so cool. Also, the monitor section goes up to 11 because you know, rock and roll, y'all. I mean, everything should go up to 11. But this is probably my favorite piece of gear right now, mostly just because it's like, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like I get to, uh, it's like driving a Ferrari. It is so much fun. It's so fast. Sounds so good. It's got compressors on every single channel, which is awesome. Expanders and gates. And, of course, we got EQs. And it's got just a million different ways you can send signal everywhere. It's like having... A lot of pieces of sand to build up my sand castle. It is just a very, very, very cool thing. But this is probably my favorite gear right now. Um, I'm going to pause for just a second. Uh, do you have some time to continue, or do we want to try and uh, finish up with the rest of the questions maybe tomorrow about this time? Uh, no, we can go ahead and finish up with if, – if it's good with y'all, let's go ahead and finish up the rest of the questions. Okay. Uh, because uh, – yeah, this is just a great time, and I'm, I'm forever. I do have to get on some work here in just a moment, but yeah, we, we can at least finish up with the rest of the questions. Okay, good deal. I just wanted to make sure because I, you know, I wanted to try and stay oh, inside our time limit. But I, I appreciate that, and I know sometimes I can be long winded and talk about all sorts of stuff, but that's that's it's fine. fine. Just it's have fine. People. All right, Bentley, go ahead with your next question, bud. Um, what other studios have you worked at? So I've worked at studios in town. Uh, I've seen a bunch of studios just from, like, uh, doing stuff like East Avalon Recorders, which is another studio in the area. Um, I actually got to put the console in over at Muscle Shoals Sound when they opened back up, which is really cool. Um I haven't actually recorded over there. I've also worked at another studio in town called uh, La La Land, which is a private studio uh, that's is like a house uh, that's owned by Mac McAnally. And I've worked over there a pretty good bit. Um, I'm trying to think of other like rooms that I've really worked in. Honestly, the most I really work in is here, you know, being the intern here and now being like being a staff engineer and now being the head engineer here. This is primarily the room that I've worked in the most. I've seen places like Blackbird and got to do like a little bit of listening work out of there um, and other places up in Nashville. But fame is definitely primarily my home and the, the studio I work out the mo work out of the most. What is your favorite part of the recording process? Pre-production, recording, mixing, mastering, or duplication? So honestly, none of those. My favorite part of the recording process is some that I think I touched on earlier, which I truly think is the most important part of the production process, and it is the song itself. 
It's something that I really cannot ever speak on to um, enough. It's something that was driven into my head the moment I walked through these doors by Rick and everybody else that I've already mentioned and talked to. Honestly, it's my litmus test for old school cats that know what they're talking about. It is about the song, y'all. That is so important. That original, true inspiration that connects everybody together. That, you know, I write down song ideas in my in my phone all day long, just different conversations either I have with other people or having with myself, things I'm dealing with. I really think that songs themselves are the difference makers. As one of my f- best friends in the whole world, Alan Shulme told me one time, he makes 50 number one hit records, produced number ones and all that stuff. He's like, it's always funny. Spencer, when the song is better, the EQs tend to sound better. I tend to find that to be the case on every single level. The better the song is, the better the singer singing the song is going to sound, the better the players are going to play the song, the better production we can put on the songs. If we're programming and doing like, like laptop production, stuff like that, the better the master product is going to sound, the mix is going to sound, the better the CD will look at the end of the day. Really, truly, that is my favorite. I think truly the most important part of the whole production process is making sure that we're recording good songs. And it doesn't always happen. And I think that's okay sometimes, too, because honestly, what makes great songs great is the fact that, well, not every song is great. But just to understand that even when you're not recording a great song, that you're still trying to go after what it is that song means. Honestly, I'm going to be recording later on this afternoon. I'm going to be recording some Iranian folk music. And it is definitely something that, you know, is different. It's something that I'm inspired by because it's something that I don't usually get to work on. But to try to get to the a language that I do not understand and trying to get to the crux of what it is we're trying to get across. Like one song is a prayer and it's about, Uh, wartime stuff and uh, some things that honestly I don't really understand but trying to get to the essence of the song of this prayer of the this uh, it's like this angel that's like trying to watch over this child that's seen some horrible horrible things during wartime uh and still trying to capture that song it doesn't matter if it's a song about love if it's a song about that kind of serious heavy stuff if it's a song about you know walking your dog to the market still truly trying to get to the bottom of this is why we're making this record sound like what we're trying to make it sound like this is why we're using the eqs we're using this is why we're using the compressors we're using this is why we're going through this production process uh why we're hiring the players we're hiring why we're asking the people to sing why we're what we're singing why we're singing it because it really always goes back to what are what what are we trying to get across? What is the inspiration that we're trying to capture in this? Because we're capturing lightning in a bottle in a lot of cases. We're capturing moments in time, and they are very fleeting. They're very difficult to capture. But the only way to do it is to realize why we are capturing what we're capturing. What is one of the most challenging projects you've worked on? Um. So some of the most challenging projects I've worked on are uh, people that don't maybe understand what I've talked about to begin with, that how important the song is. 
Um, and also people that are just, <sighs> I mean, I really don't know how to explain it. Really people that are truly inconsiderate. It's just one of those things. Sometimes people don't understand what it is that we do when we're producing records on any level. You know, one awesome thing about working here is uh, I, I do get to be a part of people's project on every level, whether it be the initial inspiration, whether it be the actual writing of the song, whether it be the, you know, just doing the initial recording to get a work tape for the song or, you know, a lot of cases because I'm an engineer and uh, I get to be a part of the master copy being recorded. Uh, when people don't understand those, uh, like every side of it, it can be difficult because a lot of my job is to try to explain that to people, you know, cause not everybody I work with are professionals like I am and have done this thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Uh, a lot of people coming in and they have never recorded a record before. And so sometimes that can be challenging to, to try to explain that to people and try to work with them and try to have them ex have a not a good experience but one of the best experiences of their entire life um and a fun time doing something they've never done before and it's still being even though it is challenging to do that and to get it across and to try to guide them through the experience um it can still be rewarding in a lot of ways because we want to share that with people and we want them to have an incredible experience not only here at fame but just any time we record with anybody it should not be agonizing and pulling teeth it should be fun it should be experience and trust me i've definitely been on the other side of that many times where i've been the problem in the room where i have been the one being a little bit too picky and being too particular particular and you know and it kill the vibe the vibe is so 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 important so anytime the vibe is thrown or people think that they know spencer Coates always thinks that he knows more than he does know um you know, it, it can it can get in the way uh, when people are not humble and don't take care of people. A very big litmus test for me as far as superstar people and people that are not superstar people is uh, Steven Tyler. When I first met him, he walked in the front door and he just introduced himself to me as if I didn't already know who he was. Well, of course I know who Steven Tyler is. He's one of the biggest rock and roll acts of all time. But he shook my hand, gave me a big hug and introduced himself to me. And that really made me understand that um, to be on the top, you need to be humble. You need to take care of people. You need to get everybody on our level uh, as fast as we can because we don't want to have any barriers between us. That kills the vibe. And uh, difficult people to work with are people that think that they know more than everybody else in the room. And that might be true in a lot of cases, but you never want to think that. You always want to help guide people to where they want to go. And that's when it gets really difficult is, is when people uh, think they more, know more than they, than they really do. And you have to kind of like make them understand that it's all okay, that we're here together and we're here to do this together. So it doesn't matter what skill set anybody is in the room, we need to, or what credits they have or what their history is, that we're here to do this together. And that's what's going to make what we're doing special is that we're all here together doing it. I know there's a couple more questions. What are, what kind of changes have you made in the studio with COVID-19 going on? 
Well, we all wear masks uh, for all tours. So we give tours. Everybody has to wear a mask. Um, you know, truly, uh, I really do play off the discretion of the clients. You know, um, whenever there are some clients that want to come in and, and wants everybody to wear a mask the whole time. And so we all wear masks the whole time. Um, uh, some people, you know, when we're all on the floor, we don't want to wear masks and because there's space between all of us. But then when we all come in the control room, we all put on our masks. And so uh, there's just little things like that. You know, uh, we just try to be considerate of how other people feel. And again, it goes back to that vibe thing. It's always going to be the vibe. It's always going to be the song. I, I really, truly just want to make sure that everybody feels comfortable. So my job in a lot of situations is uh, if somebody feels more comfortable with everybody wearing masks, we're all going to wear masks. If people feel more comfortable um, not wearing a mask on the floor or not wearing a mask in the control room, we're going to be that with people. We're going to be there because we want people to come in here and feel like we are all doing this together, taking care of each other uh, and trying to capture like these fine moments that are ever, ever passing. We're kind of the same way here. Uh, Spencer, we, uh, that's one of the things we, we train the kids to do is to, when the artist is here, we want to make them as comfortable as we can. So we, we're kind of, we're right there with you. What is a funny slash embarrassing story you could share with us from your studio experiences? Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of a good embarrassing story that I can tell. Uh, you know, I don't know if I have really just any really just truly embarrassing stories. I'll be real. Um, I have lots of funny stories, you know, like writing with my friends, uh, you know, it's always a little bit funny, maybe embarrassing when you, uh, when your friends write a song about you, uh, that's always a fun thing, uh, because when you're not in the room, cause then you know that obviously like you have done something to affect your lives so much that they feel like they need to express it out to the world. Um, but other than that, I really don't have any just like ridiculously funny, funny stories that are um, not a little bit too rock and roll. What, what advice would you give to a young middle school student audio engineer? Go ahead and ask that question again. Since okay. What advice would you give to a young middle school student audio engineer? I'm going to give the same advice that I would give to anybody that walks through the, the doors that ask me this question, anybody that calls me, because I get this question a lot, is what do I think? I, I, I get the pleasure of working with um, a lot of young interns that, that we get from the college and other areas. Um, and so I, I get to help kind of mentor them and take them through their very beginning stages of getting into the business, which is, this is a very difficult business to get into. And I tell the same thing to everybody. And I know I've already touched this because this is how important it is. 
write songs. Even if you're not good, there's a, a the Eagles documentary, which everybody should watch, um, is amazing because there's this moment where Glenn Fry uh, is talking to Bob Seger and he's like, hey, man, how do you write all these great songs? And he's like, all my songs I write are just bad. And he's like, oh, yeah, they will be. And I really just can't encourage people enough to write songs. What that does is it not only gets you thinking about the process, but it helps you really understand, like I've said this whole time, what it is we're actually doing. Um, because if you can be around, if you can write songs, you'll be around songwriters. Songwriters need their things recorded. And honestly, this is how I got a job here at Fame is because I love the technical stuff, even though it wasn't what I originally wanted to get into, even though, you know, I wanted to be a business guy. I wanted to be one of the guys making the deals and stuff like that, which being a record producer, there's a lot of that in there too. In fact, a huge part of the record being a record producer is the business and making the deals and stuff like that. But all that stuff doesn't matter if I don't understand what a great song is. And I, again, that goes back to any kind of song in any genre. If I can understand why this person is singing these words, why it is I need to have this EQ, what it is the vibe we're going for, what it is the feel we're going for, then I might as well not be doing any of this. It is just so, so, so important to write songs and to be around songwriters because as an engineer, that is what we're going to be able to capture is songs. If we sit here and think that we know better than any of the artists that we are with, well, guess what? We won't get any work. We will starve to death. We are dependent on people to record if we are trying to record. Okay? So you can do two things by learning how to write songs. You can record yourself, which will make you your own person. You will be able to uh, not have to be relying on anybody to build, give yourself business. And it'll also be able to let you, when you do find people that are much more talented than you at songwriting, because honestly, that's what happens is I have friends that are infinitely way better songwriters and way better singers and way better musicians and way better all these things than I ever will be. And I'm so, so blessed and lucky to be around people that are so much more talented than me in every facet of life that you, my phone died, everybody, but I'm back. Um, so first of all, I, I did want to finish what I was saying because it's so super important, but this is my other console. This is our Neve we have over here, which is really cool. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous instrument. But yeah, we're in, uh, I'm in the uh, Studio A control room now. So we have two rooms here with full-size consoles. But I really just want to go back to what I was saying, which is that is what's so important. And it's just something that I just cannot say enough. It really sets a lot of people apart. A lot of people really, really get way too into the technical side of this stuff. Uh, not that it's not important. I, I'm an engineer. I'm a producer myself. Like it's so important to be, so into the technical stuff and understand it, but we need to understand why all these pieces of technology exist, why studios exist, why any of this stuff exists. It's to capture the song and capture um, being human, for lack of a better term. So that is so important. We cannot ever, ever, ever forget that as young audio engineers, as young record producers, as young people that want to be in the music business, we are here to capture the magic of being human.
Any more questions? I can go for a long time, y'all. I love talking to people about this stuff. Well, I've got one more question. Okay. Uh, it was one we actually skipped. Um, and that's, uh, what's your favorite microphone to use on vocals? So, it goes back to this, y'all. Uh, whatever the song wants me to use, whatever the singer sounds the best on, uh, always is the right answer. Uh, I, honestly, I use U87s the most on vocals. Uh, it really helps me determine what microphone I should use from there because I just know what that sounds like so much. And depending on how their voice reacts to the microphone, um, I, I know what microphone to use from there. I, ha I use a... Uh, uh, AKG 414 if I'm ever uh, recording uh, young ladies, but also it's the same microphone that I use when I record the biggest, burliest men I can possibly find. And for some reason, it works on those two extremes perfectly. Um, I have uh, a manly, uh, if I want to get like a manly gold reference mic, if I want to get that really pop sound, there's something really clear about that. I have a DX77, which is an old ribbon mic. If I want to get more of the like old school muffly kind of sound, um, you know, rock and roll stuff. Yesterday I, I was doing a rock and roll record and I was using a 7B, which is a microphone a lot of people use for vocals. That's what Michael Jackson did all his vocals on. And uh, so I use that a lot, but the, especially with the singer I was using, uh, working on with, yesterday he it really helped him a whole bunch because he's used to singing into an sm58 so loud in a bar and that sm7 or that yeah sm7 can really take that kind of uh like pressure and stuff like that so it really just depends on the vocalist what the song wants and all that kind of stuff but that's kind of like the selection that i usually use is the u87 is my starting point nine times out of ten Thank you for being with us today. I appreciate y'all so much. I appreciate y'all letting me be able to share this stuff with y'all. Again, it, it means so much to me to be able just to talk to uh, young cats that are trying to get into it. I, I wish I had the resources that I had when I was uh, y'all's age in school. I don't think they'd ever let me outside of the studio. So definitely take so much advantage of that stuff, y'all. You never know. Things will always change. The technology will change. I mean, consoles... You know, they're great and cool, and I love all that stuff, but that's honestly not the way a lot of people make music anymore. Uh, it's Thankfully, uh, you just got to have all the toolboxes in your thing, so just always be aware of that, work hard, and know that this is very, very, very difficult to do. If you really, truly, truly want to do this for a living, the best advice I can give everybody is don't. Don't. This is hard. This is hard to do, and it really takes so much of your time, effort to really get into. Honestly, a lot of my life uh, and a lot of my training coming up in this business, my late boss, Rick, who's one of the best record producers of all time, I got to work with him for four years. And that whole time he told me I would never make it in the music business. I need to give up trying to make it in the music business. I can never work hard enough to make it in the music business. The music business was not for people like me. Now, obviously that is not true. But what he was trying to get is you need to work hard. You need to work harder than anybody else if you really, truly want to do this. And it is okay if we can all love music and we can all have this be a part of our life. But to make this our living, we have to live, breathe, and 
only do this. I do not do anything else other than music all the time. So you really, truly just have to have an obsessive love for it. And then it just might work, y'all. You never know. There's a lot of luck that goes into it, too. There's a lot of luck. But y'all are already in a position of a lot of luck being in a school that can provide the resources that y'all have right now. That is just, like I said, so powerful and so awesome. Man, thank you so much, Spencer, for being with us today. Uh, you have been an awesome guest, uh, so knowledgeable, uh, and even I've learned some stuff from you today. So that's that's uh, well, that's good. Really that's awesome. Well, I'm here for y'all. If y'all ever need anything, let me know. I'm so thankful to be able to share this with y'all. Um, yeah, just let me know if y'all have any more questions or anything, or you know. We should definitely figure out a time for y'all to come see my my place. I definitely want to come see y'all's place and all that good stuff and hear what y'all been working on. So thank y'all so much for inviting me and let me be a part of it. And thank you to our listeners for the, taking the time to listen to our first episode of the Pleasant Side podcast. We will have this up on Spotify or whatever podcasting platform you listen to very soon and again thank you spencer coates for being our guest and setting the tone for um, this being a podcast featuring world-class talent so thanks a lot awesome thank you so very much